seconds flat. Give me up. Put it down, put it This is the second flat running podcast. He's broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Blake Zero. Oh my gosh. Hey again, friends. Welcome into mile 83 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. It's great to have you with us. I got my guy, Cosmo alongside me today. Cosmo, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on again, coach. My pleasure. So excited to recap our trip to beautiful and scenic Northwest Ohio. <laughs> That's right. The Toledo Glass City Marathon. Our goal today is to break this into a, a few parts here. First, an overview of the, the course, the expo, the logistics, uh, some of the things that might benefit you, the listener, if you're considering a trip to the Glass City Marathon in the future, which I will first say I recommend. Cosmo, overall, recommendation of the race? Yes, I would recommend it to anybody. It was a fantastic race. We'll, we'll get into it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll dive deeper into the specifics. I don't know that um, you and I are going to be back for the 2022 edition. I don't know if we're going to go back that soon, but I would definitely recommend it to the first timer who's looking for a good spring marathon. And then after that, we'll dive more into our specific race day experiences, our training that led up to it, and then our goals for the future, what we're going to adjust in the training, maybe our next races, what the path forward looks like. Before we do any of that, we do need to point out that Cosmo is joining us from his, I don't know, what, what do we call this, a man shed behind the Sanucci <laughs> studio? Yeah, um, you can call it that. Okay, and, and can we identify the birds that are gently calling in the background and adding ambiance to the episode? Yeah, you know, I haven't named them. I'm not exactly sure what type of birds they are. there are out there, but there are plenty of them. Can you hear them? Yeah, they, they're coming through. There we go. Loud and clear. I, I didn't expect you to have named them. I thought, <laughs> I thought perhaps we might be able to do like genus and species or something like that. But anyway. I'll have we'll, to get, yeah, I'll have to get my, my bird watching binoculars out and uh, update you uh, here in a bit. Wonderful. Can you confirm that they are not blue jays? I can confirm. They are not blue jays or cardinals for okay. that matter. Disappointing, but nonetheless, <laughs> good to know. Yeah. Let's take it to Toledo, buddy. First off, we're three days out. How's the body feeling? Surprisingly really good. Yeah, uh, compared to my first marathon experience, I'm feeling much better, much quicker uh, this, this time through. So, yeah, man, I feel great. Um, after the marathon, <laughs> getting, getting in the car and heading back to Greenville right away, uh, my body didn't appreciate that. But the next day, uh, woke up feeling pretty good, and it's gotten gradually more loose um, since the day of. So, Yeah, we will need to discuss a little bit more your travel plans, because I think that's an important <laughs> element of this story uh, yeah. for your performance. But let's take this chronologically. Okay. Uh, we both got to Toledo 
something like 18 hours before the race uh, for yeah. the for the expo. Of course, in the COVID world, it's not a traditional expo experience. Um, the bid pickup was at the, the Glass Bowl, the football stadium there, where the race began and ended. And although there was not really an expo, I'm not typically one much for caring about a big expo. And I thought it was incredibly efficient. We went through line, checked our COVID tests, got our bib, got our box with the, with the goodies in and out, and were able to go take a look at the course. Let's start with uh, something that can be important to some folks, what some may call the, uh, the swag bag. I feel mm-hmm. I feel uncomfortable saying that though. I don't. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Okay. Like it just it doesn't fit me. When when you look at me, Cosmo, do you think of me as a man who can just casually and liberally use the word swag? I mean, you have twice uh, here recently, and I, you know, <laughs> I see what you're saying, but uh, no, it's working for you. You got you got a. Uh, more swagger uh, than you give yourself credit for. I mm, appreciate that. Thank you. So the goodies, man, what, what were the highlights in the goodie bag? Uh, my, my favorite piece in there was the, the beer mug, the glass beer mug, um, obviously branded with the Toledo Roadrunners Club on it um, and uh, the logo for the marathon. I wasn't the biggest fan of the shirt. But they, you're wearing uh, it. I am. I figured I should for this episode, you know, get in the spirit of things. Yep. Um, you know, uh, I can't say that it's uncomfortable. It's just a, lo- it's a lot to look at, I would, I would say. That's a great description. Uh, I, would give, <laughs> I would give the mug an A grade. That is a yeah. really nice piece that you can actually use to remember the race in the future. Yes. I, none of us are real excited when we show up a race and kind of get a a poopy bag of goods that we're not really interested in. And fortunately, we didn't have a bunch of the excess advertisements and coupons and stuff. They kept that limited. The yeah. mug was fantastic. I'm going to give the shirt. Uh, I, am I a hard grader? I'm going to give it like a D plus. Yeah, it's failing. That's for sure. It's there's, as you said, there's a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. Too much. It feels like a, uh, like a cyclist or triathletes kit, you know? Yes, it does, uh, yes. Also, I guess that either I lost a significant amount of weight or I am <laughs> substantially shorter than I was when I registered for the race because mine could be best described as my marathon blouse rather than <laughs> a marathon shirt. But we did talk about this after the race, the... Perhaps good that comes out of that is we, we always talk about with some of our friends about the folks who have taken all these marathon shirts and you know, make like a quilt or something out of it. And this, this could go right on there easily. I have no desire to uh, put in any hard workouts in this top. Let's cut this thing up, get it on a blanket and move on. They did something that I thought was nice in that beforehand, they made you very aware of what gels would be on the course if you were going to use the course gels, which neither of us did. But they had those same course gels in the box that they gave us at Packet Pickup. So if you were prepping to use what they had on the course, you had a little bit extra there that you didn't need to bring your own as well. So I thought that was a nice touch. 
Let's move to the course itself. That's the most important element here, the course itself that people would be interested in for the future. So Cosmo, first impressions, takeaways, the most significant stuff when when you think about that 26.2 miles. Yeah, I enjoyed the initial, um, the initial, I guess it was about 10 miles of the course. It was beautiful. You know, you had some uh, several rolling hills through the neighborhoods. The, the, I think there was a little bit of a climb at the beginning there. Not mm-hmm. much of one. Yep. Um, I'll interject for a moment on that because that is not the normal starting point for the race. Okay. Uh, I, I suspect... 2022 going forward that they will start the half marathon and marathon together again but just with covid protocols the two started and had like the first mile mile and a half separate so you're right there was the the first half mile was all gradually uphill but that is not the typical pattern of the course i kind of like that uh, though because it caused me to check you know where where my, my pace was sitting early on, you know, obviously didn't want to come out too fast. So uh, I, I didn't mind that first half mile, mile um, uphill. So I, I agree. It, it was a check to a degree on getting out way too hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But from there, um, forget the name of the neighborhood. I believe you might know it. Ottawa Hills. Ottawa Hills. When we took a right into there, man, it was uh, um, several beautiful beautiful homes back in there, beautiful land. I enjoyed uh, that portion of the race thoroughly, you know, engaging different muscles, you know, going through those hills. After that, it, it was kind of touch and go. I, it went through the, the park, um, the trails, which was nice. I really liked that part. But after it came out of the, the trails, I'm not sure exactly what mile it was, maybe 14 or 15. There were some other neighborhoods that it had us taking a bunch of turns through, which I didn't enjoy that part of the race as much. Did you? I'm with you, man. I thought the first 15 miles of this course were really, really nice. Yeah. I, I would stack them up with about any course that I've run, mm-hmm. particularly for races of this size, this medium size marathon experience. No, it's, it's not 15 miles, say, at Boston, but... The, the opening stretch uh, from campus, then into Ottawa Hills, then, as you said, through the Metro Park and out to the bike path. We came out on the bike path there probably 12 or so miles in, took that out straight shot past the halfway mark, took a right turn to, uh, you were dead on it, right about 15. There was a timing mat at 15. Mm-hmm. And from 15, a little after 15 to probably 18 or 19, we were in a very stereotypical middle-class suburban neighborhood with a lot of turns and zero fans. And I, I don't particularly need a lot of people around to enjoy a marathon, but some folks do. So that's something to be aware of. But the, the turns were probably something that was a bigger issue. And that was present throughout, even early on in, in Ottawa Hills. You think of Northwest Ohio, anyone who's been to that area, and it's predominantly incredibly flat. But you're getting a roll throughout in this course, especially early on, just gentle. And as you said, I thought nice. The, the topography just gently changed enough to make it enjoyable. 
Yeah. But there were some some sharp turns, some some quite circuitous moments, and then especially in between 15 and 19. We got back out to the main road and, and had a pretty straight shot there. And, and you brought it up after the race. It was an interesting segment because there was a deceptive hill, <laughs> I think you could yeah. say, coming up to 19. I made an intentional effort to push effort a little bit going into it because you could tell we were getting a little downhill going into it before you came back mm-hmm. up. It was just enough that if you're fading at that point, that hill could be a little tougher than one might think. It's about the placement, right? That's that's the truth even of Heartbreak Hill at, at Boston. When you're 20 miles in, a hill feels a whole lot bigger than it otherwise might. I think the Heartbreak Hill vertical climb is like 88 feet over the course of 600 meters. Mm-hmm. It's not mammoth, but it's the placement that makes it difficult for people because you've gone through a series of hills to get there and you've run for 20 miles. Yeah. This, this had a little bit of that flavor. And then I thought actually perhaps the toughest section of the course came soon after that. Round mile 20, you turn back into the park and now you had a lot of twisty bike path type course here. Yeah. You had some climbing a little bit back up to what looked like an old mansion that was kind of a park office of some sort now. And then you reconnected with the course where you had been early on. And so we ran a little segment at like mile 11 to 12 that we ran again at about mile 21. Yes. The difficulty here was there were people still on the first lap, people who were 11 miles in, while you and I were 21 miles in. And I think this made it difficult for both groups of people. You know, for me, just making people aware that, okay, someone's coming up on your left and, and trying to announce my presence but also you're getting people with headphones in and, and they might not be paying a ton of attention to what's happening, maybe not hear what's happening behind them. And then I also feel it's difficult for those people who are getting past because uh, they have to be constantly changing their <laughs> approach to, to the race as well. Uh, right. they, these were still, when I got there, largely people who were jogging or at least jog walking. Uh, these were not just people out for a casual stroll. They were clearly people who had very legitimate and important to them goals. And so uh, for anyone considering the race, if you're at the front of the pack, consider it. But also if you are more of a mid or backpack athlete, just be aware. That was a difficult section for, for both groups. I suspect, Daniel, it was probably a little tougher for you as well because I was a a little bit ahead of you, and I didn't have anyone around me entering that section. Uh, That's right. So so when I was passing these other people, I didn't have to share it with a pack. I was just getting off, sometimes having to get off in the grass around them. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I believe you came to that point uh, in the park, and you were in a pack of runners, correct? Yeah, I just caught... um a pack of folks that I've been, I'd probably been trying to uh, hunt them down for about 
nine or 10 miles up to that point. So, and it, it was right at the point where it, I, I believe the half marathoners might, might've been with us too. I'm not sure of that it might just have been the folks on mile 11 or 12, but there were a lot um, of pipeline issues <laughs> yeah. in, in that part of the park. So. Uh, yeah, I would say that that combined with those turns we experienced earlier on, and then a third element would be the negatives of the course on course experience, which is after you got out of the park, you had a nice straight stretch down the bike path back towards campus. But then the last mile or so had, a, again, a number of twists and turns, but just through like campus parking lots, essentially felt as if we're trying to figure out the mileage to get you to 26.2 rather than a coherent course layout. Uh, Probably largely because of the changes they had to make with COVID. And we're both sympathetic to that. This is not meant as a a huge criticism of the race. Again, we both very much enjoyed the, the experience. But I would keep those pieces in mind as things to be aware of if you do run at Toledo. Moreover, as reasons why this may not be the course you draw up if you think this is my target race of the year or my command performance that I feel like I'm in the best shape I've ever been. I want to go set a huge PR. I don't know necessarily that this is the optimal place for that. Agree or disagree? I agree with that. Yes. While they say that you know about 20% of the folks who run the race of BQ um, historically, uh, I still wouldn't choose it as that uh, A race to do that for myself. Yep, I agree. Now, on the flip side of that, there are some elements that make it really optimal. The biggest maybe being typically the weather. Uh, we, yeah. we had generally a pretty good day. It was it was a little warmer than anticipated, probably mm-hmm. five to eight degrees warmer than the weather a day or two out might have told you. And in the end, probably a little bit warmer than I like. I, I continue to learn in these experiences after now, I don't know how many, I'm in double digit marathons. I'm not sure of the number. I keep learning. Uh, it's almost the colder, the better for me. I would add the element of it was a pretty windy morning too. And, and that it might was. Have, could have been a bit of a limiting factor, but not, not enough to use as a reason to explain a result for anyone. Another piece that gives you a shot at a great race are the on-course logistics with the aid stations. They did a great job strategically it felt like at most we went maybe a couple miles between aid stations. They, yes. were, they were well stocked. Now, of course, it was a little more difficult this year because you had to take bottles of water and open them yourself, which it's funny how much more difficult that got at like 25 miles in. <laughs> the yeah, coordination yeah. to pick one of those off a table and unscrew it. I really like that, though. I prefer it to a cut that where the water's sloshing out. I know we've talked about a certain method for taking the cup, but uh, having the, uh, the caps on the bottles and being able to carry it for a mile or two if necessary, you know, if it wasn't optimal place for me to take a gel or whatever it is, um, it was nice to travel with those. So I like that. Sure, yeah. The, the group that I was in early on, 
did a great job of if somebody missed one of those, you know, when you're reaching on the table, if you knock it over or miss a bottle, making sure that if someone around us needed one and we had it, that, that we'd pass it off afterward. You and I both had the same approach here is maybe we swish a, a little bit of water in the mouth and spit it out, or maybe we take a little sip, but because it was hotter than anticipated, we were dumping the water over our heads or our backs just to stay cool. The frequency of water stops and ability to easily get in and out. And at some points, having them on both sides of the road uh, mm -hmm. was, was really a nice element. Yeah. Cosmo, anything you want to add specifically to the on-course experience? Sure. Logistically, in Ottawa Hills, something happened with the half marathon mm -hmm. course. And people were uh, pretty livid about it. I, I don't know how. It started, but somehow uh, they they got the misunderstanding that they were supposed to take a certain turn, and so a lot of the folks who were on the half marathon course, you know, and moving fairly quickly up front, I, I saw a bunch of confusion, a lot of folks turning around and yelling at each other and at, at spectators trying to figure out where the half marathon course was supposed to be. I don't think that that was the race logistically. It wasn't the race's fault. It was more of uh, someone misunderstanding the course and then, you know, a game of telephone happening along the rest of the half marathon participants. But that was a fairly confusing point, but uh, frustrating for others on that half marathon course for sure. Yes. I'm uh, glad you brought that back up. Let me make three points to that that are important. One, this is why you and I, the afternoon before, drove a significant chunk of the course. Mm -hmm. Be aware of what you're getting into. And my understanding to that uh, of what happened is some people thought they had missed a turn or made a turn they shouldn't have and began to turn around and then called others back with them saying, half marathon, you're on the wrong track. And uh, we shared a significant portion early on of the course with the half marathoners. That's point two here. The half marathon start again and the marathon start were, were separate. And because of a glitch with the national anthem on our side, they started a little bit earlier. And also we were at slightly different mile marks when we met up. And so this added an element of having to pass some half marathoners early on in the race. The fields were limited, so it wasn't a huge deal, but something to think about for next year if they still have separate starts for the two races. And then the last piece I'll add to that is this is a great time for us to congratulate uh, some of our athletes who were in the half marathon. I believe we had uh, four runners who were top 15 finishers all the way up to fourth overall. So great effort from, from those guys. Fantastic work. That's awesome. Yeah. Let's go through our fueling strategies. Uh, we use different approaches. I would consider yours to have been successful, uh, very yeah. successful. I think mine was as well, possibly not quite as successful as yours, but I'll explain why. So, Daniel, why don't you go ahead, lay out what you did before and then on course for fueling? 
Yeah. Okay. On the day of or leading up to, because uh, all week I was taking noon just for those electrolytes and salt, just to get those in my system. And then night before morning of, I switched to tailwind. And then up to the start of the race, I was carrying a bottle of, of tailwind just to start me out on the right foot. Heard a lot of about you know making sure you get nutrition in early before your heart rate gets out of control, you know, and, and systems start to shut down, if you will. So I uh, started with a bottle. Um, the plan was to start at six miles, six or seven with a bottle of Tailwind and um, a Morton gel, non-caffeinated. I ended up starting to take, uh, I took a Morton's at mile, I think it was like three and a half. It was super early, <laughs> but, but, it, but it felt right. I was like, hey, okay, well, the big boy got hungry. <laughs> I must have been it. I don't know. I don't know what it was. Um, but yeah, it felt like the right thing to do. Also, my, my the four Mortons I had in my back uh, pockets were weighing my my uh, half tights down so much that my pants seemed to be falling off, which is an issue. So I was trying to get some of the weight out of there, I guess. <laughs> uh, okay, let, let me pause you there for a minute. Here. Yeah. It, is that an adjustment you would make in the future to not carry as many with you? Absolutely. Because you had, you had the ability to get them handed off to you. That, that's a benefit of a race yeah. like this where it's not super crowded on, on the sidelines that yeah. we were able to get handoffs, whether it was bottles or gels. So yeah, in the future, you might not go with the so many gels that your pants are weighed down. Potentially, or I'll just get, I'm just going to get some new half tights so that they actually fit now. <laughs> but well, no, uh, I, it was I think it might have been the right decision, Travis, because it you know even though I had four back there, I used every single one of them. Okay, um, so uh, let's uh, throw this as a point, and and as our listeners know, since you've been on before, I help you in writing your training, and yeah. so we have a bit of a coach athlete moment here now. Let's think about in the future. Are there other places, depending on the weather conditions of the day, that someone might consider carrying gels? You had the back zipper pocket on your half tights. Other places that people should be aware of are maybe you put one in your gloves if you wear gloves. Sometimes you'll see folks, if they're in arm sleeves, um, tuck it into the top of an arm sleeve. Or there's also just the carry the first one until you need it whether that's a bottle or a gel, carry it with you at the start of the race, take it, and then dispose of it. So just ideas to think about for you and others for the future. That's good. Yeah, I, I, so I was trying to get that out early. So I started at three or four, taking that first gel. I got a bottle handed off to my brother, who was kind enough to come out at mile seven. Shane was uh, the man. Shane was the man. He came through for sure. Yeah mile seven and then at mile i believe it was 11 your dad was there willing to provide bottle service as well so i got another bottle of uh i actually mixed tailwind and some bcaas along with another morton gel uh, with a rubber band around the bottle so got a I, good thought, I thought big papa was on his game on oh, the yeah. on the bottle pass oh he, yeah he looked nimble he <laughs> his hands were strikingly strong as he passed yeah. the bottles off. There was great eye contact. He looked the, <laughs> the bottle into your hand. I think that if he had been on the course, that could have been his day. That might've been a, a PR day for him 
both in passing bottles and in racing. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so we had him at, at 11-ish there in the park. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and after, after that bottle, I, we were kind of on our own for the next nine miles or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I took another Morton's every, I guess it was about every three or four miles after that. So I believe at 14 and 17, um, 17 or 18, I had another Morton Joe. And then another at 21, I, I had another Morton. And at mile 23, I had a bottle of fairly concentrated BCAAs, which I needed desperately for that, that last 5K. So, yeah, man, I took a lot, but uh, it, I think it kind of got me through. For anyone unfamiliar with the acronym you just laid out, BCAAs, yes. could you give more for the people? Yes. Uh, Branch chain amino acids is uh, what that stands for. It's a combination of, of, I believe, three amino acids, uh, the primary of which being leucine, Mm -hmm. which uh, I'm no scientist or nutritionist, but I believe uh, the advantages to taking leucine uh, in a situation like that, they they bypass um, certain organs where they just go straight to your muscles. So it's an immediate energy source. Um, for your muscles, correct me if I'm wrong there, coach. But uh, yeah, it seemed to be helpful uh, later on in the race when your stomach's not processing um, all that that uh, glucose you're putting in. So um, does that make sense? Yeah, just a, a quick point of clarification. Yes, you're correct that that's about continued mu- muscle function, particularly mm-hmm. late in the race. We tend we get these in through proteins in our normal diet. I just want to make the point of distinction in what you just said about glucose and glycogen. Oh, Uh, sure. Yes. Blood glucose, glycogen being what we have um, in the muscle stores. Overall, then, you took Tailwind and Morton gel and amino acids. Uh, How many gels did you take during the race? Let's count them up here. Uh, Three, seven, eleven. 14, 17, 21. I took six. So. Okay. And then uh, the bottles of Tailwind, which weren't full bottles, and I don't know if you drank all of it, but they were like half full. And you would have had then, because one bottle pass got missed, you had three bottle passes, correct? That's correct. So pretty significant amount of carbs, as well as electrolytes, as well as amino acids. I went a slightly different route, both on timing and product. We should start the night before and say that our dinner plan was thwarted. We were exceptionally excited about the Fifth Street Pub in beautiful downtown Maumee, Ohio. Or no, that was across the river in Perrysburg. Yeah, Perrysburg. I I apologize. Perrysburg, home of Fort Meggs of War of 1812 fame. Although we went to dinner early, there was quite a wait at the Fifth Street Pub, so we had to set aside our hopes and dreams that were again dashed the next day because they're closed on Sundays. We thought maybe we would go back after the race. I went scratch uh, the day before fruit punch flavor, which I really just liked the taste of, instead of noon, and I liked how that went in adding that as a somewhat of a carb loading element in addition to it being an electrolyte loading element. So scratch drink mix. Morning of, we didn't mention this, uh, Daniel, when you went through, we 
we ate the same breakfast. We, we gathered around the bunk beds in your room with Shane. And yep. we had half a bagel with peanut butter, honey, and banana. I went for about an hour out, which was right before we did a short little um, shakeout warm-up. A bottle of Noon Prime orange flavor that is very high in BCAAs. It's also got caffeine to it, uh, so we used the pre-race caffeine element. We didn't mention when we talked about the course logistics earlier, that was a great little area we had to warm up because we parked right next to the course, half a mile from the start line, adjacent to the Ottawa Hills golf course, which had a trail through it. One other person came across us during a warm-up, but we kind of had the place to ourselves. Awesome spot to warm up before the race, if you're looking for that in the future, uh, your Glass City Marathon experience. During the race, I went to essentially every 10K as my breaking point for nutrition. I think I could have taken a little bit more, and I think the composition could have been a touch different. I went to Morton 100 with caffeine at the 10K mark. I then took the bottle handoff uh, and sipped from about mile 11 to the halfway point on a bottle of Scratch Superfuel Lemon Lime, which is higher carb concentrate, higher sodium concentrate than their traditional fuels. I then went back to Morton Gel at about mile 18, maybe just before 18. And then I got that last bottle handoff at 21. And it had some scratch in it, just a small amount, probably because it was a little warmer than expected. And I have a very high sweat rate. I probably should have gotten something in earlier with more sodium. The Morton is a great carb source, but it's not an electrolyte source or a very small one. And I noticed that just the salt accumulation on my skin. I don't know if you got to a place, Daniel, where you felt that during the, the race, but I noticed just the sweat deposits of the salt on my skin as I got to like 19 or 20. And after the race, I was very much craving salty food, even the following day. So I probably failed myself just a touch on that one. And we'll get to our race experience. I don't think that was a huge breaking point for me. It's something I'd like to do better though next time maybe a little earlier, maybe where I took that Morton at 18, maybe I go to something that has, like you had more amino acids in it and a higher sodium concentration, maybe a better call. But live and learn. For both of us, that was generally a success. Not perfect, but we're always trying to do that better. My couple days leading up and my morning of were maybe the best I've done uh, on fueling. It just, I felt really good. My legs felt ready to go. I went with a really, <laughs> really hard taper the last couple of days, uh, just barely moving, definitely cut it back more than I'm used to. And I'll transition to our actual race experience with this. I said to you the night before, I may run 235 tomorrow, which would be a slight PR, or I may just not finish. <laughs> <laughs> and I came dangerously close to both of those things. Uh, <laughs> so I'll come back to my story. How about you take us through the brief overview of your in-race experience, Cosmo? Okay, yeah. Man, I felt great for the first ooh, 
seven to 10 miles. I was feeling fantastic. Real chipper. Let me interrupt. Let me interrupt for everybody. The, I apologize, Daniel. No worries. Just to quickly say for everybody out there planning to run a marathon, either your first or your fastest, if you don't feel great through seven to 10, there's probably a a problem. You need (laughs) to feel great early. If you get to a place where you don't feel great, stay patient. Don't panic. Mm -hmm. That moment might pass. Just zoom in, refocus, regroup, and hopefully get back to a place where you feel great again. Go ahead, Cosmo. Yeah, Yeah, I was remembering that advice from you. Um, Typically, you know, if you don't feel great through 13, but the first half, you might want to brace yourself. You know, that's the advice I was remembering. And at about 10, I started realizing, well, this, this, it's not feeling as smooth as it did before, but no worries. You know, we'll keep, keep it going. I think it was a, there's a slight calf issue, a calf cramp. Nothing I had to stop and, and stretch out, but it, it was more of a gradual onset uh, at about mile 10 to 13 um, for the rest of the race that I was having to deal with. But yeah, I felt pretty fantastic up to about 10. Um, it was a grind from, about uh, probably about 10 to 17 you know i was trying to uh trying for a a slight negative split so i started a little slower and in control started feeling like i could uh, pick up the pace um at about you know i was planning on 18 mile 18 to 20 picking up pace a little bit but it was it was mile i guess 16 or 17 i started feeling significantly better started um speeding up a bit until i hit about mile 21 uh it was, it was after that big hill that deceptive hill you were talking about earlier i guess it uh it got me pretty good and then that last 10k was uh i stayed consistently under under my uh medium paces but i didn't quite get up to the faster paces i was hoping to close with so i was happy to keep the wheels uh, on the bus though for sure the conclusion is for you a, a roughly six minute pr yeah that's right i believe it was exactly six minutes to the second so yeah man it was a win for me i had a b goal of sub 250 and and we reached it by about uh, 15 seconds so it's happy to happy to get there yeah it was a great performance and I brought up early uh, how your travel experience impacted your race, <laughs> and you just called it a B goal, but it was probably the most realistic goal for you in that yeah. you, you had to drive nine, 10 hours the day before the race. Yeah. After having been at work late the night before that, on your feet, then very limited sleep, then this long drive, uh, and then turn around and race. That's it's a limiting factor. There's no question. And you made the best of that that maybe you possibly could have. Yeah, considering the circumstances, I felt I felt great about the performance and about the race and uh, felt prepared for it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about training leading up to it. But yeah, man, felt I think I felt as good as I could have um, considering the circumstances. Yeah. yeah, man. What about you? Well, you know, I. <laughs> I didn't really even allow myself a beagle. Uh, <laughs> I got through the day before and we did some strides at the end of our little shake out there in uh, front of the bed and breakfast that we stayed at in Mommy. I think it was called Sweet Teas. I give them a five-star rating. The scones they delivered were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a set of four strides at the end of that. My legs felt good. I knew I had not done a 
race A goal training. It was probably a B or a C. But because this was never really a target for me, this was more about getting to do this with you and about the sheer joy of the experience of returning to somewhat normal marathon racing. I was just so grateful and enthusiastic to even be there. I decided if I feel good when I get on the line, we're just going to let it rip. And I got in a pack early on of maybe six to eight guys who had goals that were either near mine or for some of them just slightly ahead of my goal. And we worked together through about, it wasn't long, maybe six, seven miles. And then that group started to fray. And by eight or nine miles, it had strung out. And there was just one guy in that group ahead of me who seemed to be pressing a pace that was just a little bit more than I was comfortable with. Ultimately, at about 14 miles or so, I caught him and and passed him. But I rode at or faster than PR pace for an extended portion of the race. And I got through uh, 22-ish miles, running five seconds per mile faster than maybe I thought I even could coming in. And so I knew this was a, a delicate and dangerous dance that I was in. But when I saw the mile 22 marker, and I had done, one thing I'm really pleased with is I hadn't looked at my watch a ton, and I just the effort felt like, okay, this is what I should be doing to race a marathon. It was cutting down and I got to a check-in point where I just felt like I'll look at 22. And I looked down and did the quick math of my overall time, as well as my saw that just my moving pace happened to be up on my watch. And I thought, well, I probably just ran one of my fastest miles of the day at mile 22, which normally is a good sign that you're set up to close strong. In my experience, that if there's a wall, which we talked about in previous episodes, it tends to to set in perhaps a little bit earlier for me. All that kind of came together, and I felt like, let's keep pressing. We're on a bike path now. It's a straight shot. I had figured out that, yeah, I have a cushion, but do you relax and rely on that cushion, or do you keep pressing? And you don't know how many opportunities you're going to get, and so I kept pressing. I didn't realize necessarily until later on, you know, one of our buddies was on the tracking app and it was getting projected paces. And because both of us were starting to cut down our pace in the second half, it now was projecting me to break 235. Nice. Which I felt really good about, Uh, you know, that allows me to get a little bit of a PR. I'll have to be honest, the, the wall set in because I was not, probably not, in sub-235 shape. We'll get into that training more here in a moment. At some point, you've come face-to-face with that sobering reality. It was just almost a flip of the switch at about mile 23. I got it. just a little bit of cramping in, in my core. Boom, my legs felt like they didn't want to keep working. And I checked my watch a couple times, and I saw this pace that had been at like 550, fade to 6.30, fade to 7. <laughs> some of the guys from our group that ran the half were around like 25, and that was probably the last time I checked my watch. And I think at this point it was 
showing something up closer to eight minutes, although I felt like I was walking. And I guarantee the half mile or so after I saw them was by far the slowest of the day. I may have given back three minutes in, in just a mile there mm. and ultimately come in staggering to the finish. I've taken some body blows. It was an absolute rock fight between me and the course down the stretch. I just had in my head for about five to 10 minutes at the end, just keep moving. You are not walking. So I pushed in at somewhere a little bit over two hours and 40 minutes, which, you know what, after an just absolute abject blow up, it could be a whole lot worse than that. That's right. To bring in that time. So, well, it was good for you fighting. Yeah, while I was disappointed in the time, I I told you this, and I 100% mean it. I left that race with more confidence than I ever have after a marathon. After some of of my PRs, I've thought, oh, man, I'm going to have to do a lot of work to get better. And I thought to myself, with subpar training, I just put in the best probably 22 or 23 miles of my life. I have no question that we're going to get back out for a fall marathon. And I'm going to have it in me to hold that or maybe do better for the entirety of the race. It was a strange but huge confidence builder. Since I've mentioned that my training was maybe not the best, let's move to that portion now and and talk about what led up to it and what we hope to do next before we wrap up here. I'll say from my perspective, I had... uh, you know, one of the very few actual running injuries of my life last fall, a hamstring strain that came up in November. And I took, I think maybe 10 days off and then ran really easy for an extended period after that. Got back into training at the first of the year, consistent, good mileage, but every workout felt really average. And the times were definitely a step back from where I'd been. I ran what I consider a an average, maybe even a touch below half marathon in Greenville at the end of February. So at that point, you're less than two months from this marathon. But all that work added up and I started to make some progress and had a really good final six weeks that gave me a little glimmer, that gave me some hope that if I feel good on race day, maybe I'll let this thing rip. I know that just six weeks probably isn't enough of good training. And that lesson is once again reinforced. I'll share what I did in that six weeks in in a moment, Daniel. Why don't you go ahead and talk about just the entirety of your training. What went well, what you liked, what you didn't like, maybe that listeners can then carry over into their experience. Yeah. Oh, man. It was, uh, gosh, this cycle seemed... Like it lasted quite a while, you know, with breaking it up with that half marathon in Greenville at the end of February was really helpful, I think, you know, to beforehand, you know, I think it was end of of December, early January, we started working on the base towards the marathon after working on a mile time previously. There were a lot of workouts that were a lot of long runs that were broken up um, into different fartleks. Um, which I thoroughly enjoyed not having a, a, a steady long run every week, but having that quality work in there. And I think that had an effect long-term. Uh, building up to that half marathon, I, I had a hamstring issue as well. And I was out for, I guess it was a few days at least. 
so I, I feel like I was still, you know, the, the majority of this, at least the last half of the cycle, still wary of that hamstring issue. But nonetheless, man, I think we had a really strong build. I felt more in shape than I ever had. But yeah, man, I felt ready, to, honestly, to hit that A goal um, or get, get close to it. So yeah, the, the, the paces that we prescribed, uh, at least uh, closer into the marathon itself, seemed spot on for what I thought I would be able to run. But at the end of the day, at the last 10K, I, I, was, I just had to hold on. Man, I, I enjoyed the cycle. Uh, the, the best part of it for me was getting to do it with our, our crew here in Greenville. It was a great build for all of us. Several of those guys are running this weekend um, in Myrtle Beach. It was a great training, training block. Any thoughts on what you want to or need to do better in training next time? Oh, man. It's something that we talked about earlier on is probably sticking to prescribed paces mm -hmm. and trusting the process versus, you know, trying to end everything uh, at 100% and going to that, that well a little too often. I would, I would, I would pay more attention there, probably. I would also spend more time um, on mobility and stability exercises, a little more weight training uh, for injury prevention. I feel like we, I did a pretty good, good job of that after the half marathon, but I could have been a lot more consistent with that. Doing it two to three times a week would have been helpful for me. At the end of the race, you know, cardio-wise, I felt great, but my body, you know, was just it had had it. And what is on the schedule up next for you? Race is on tap. You're looking at that. We need to uh, think about for our training plan in the future. Yeah, man, I I'm gonna get back to uh, trying to run fast and running another mile. Time trial or race, probably a, a race in uh, in early early June. You know, miles and marathons. I think that would <laughs> it, it'd be a good mix. Yes, either end of the spectrum. June feels a little too soon for me. I am enjoying this time off. We're now three days into nothing. Probably start some cross training or weights, yoga maybe here in the next few days. But no running for a little while longer. Like so many, at some point I learned the hard way that you just have to listen to your body and take some time off, regardless of how excited you are about the next cycle. And as I said, I leave this with a lot of confidence and I'm so excited to get back out there. But I'm looking at maybe 10K, half marathon, marathon sequence of like October, November, December. Now, when I, to go into my training a little bit more and some things I think we can apply for everyone, I did do some breakdown of my last six weeks in some numbers that I think are valuable here. The best thing I thought I did in the last six weeks, and I plan to do this again in some form before my next marathon, and maybe all of them in the future, is I pivoted to a nine to 10 day schedule. This happened after 15K Gate River Run in Jacksonville in early to mid-March through here, late April, where I was on a nine-day schedule with the exception of there was twice just uh, with calendar issues, I had to make it 10. Uh, one of those was to give myself more recovery, an extra day after the 15K. 
But essentially, I rotated a three workout series on days three, six, and nine of that nine day microcycle where I did a long run or maybe something that was marathon specific. I did a more marathon to half marathon type pace effort. And then I did a, a 15K or faster pace effort. So I was working on those three different skills and it felt like they were separated enough with, of course, two easier days in between each of those workouts. And then you're at over a week before you rotated back to working a similar system and I could feel the, the gains substantiated. Now, of course, that was all with the, the bedrock of, even though I wasn't happy with it, really consistent training for several months before and and several years before that, of course. I broke down the total numbers here in those last six weeks, and I did a substantial amount of running measured in minutes. And when I break it down in minutes, about 90%, just under 90% of that running was at slower than marathon pace, marathon goal pace, okay? That includes some steady long runs that were, you know, where you're running for two plus hours at maybe 90% of marathon pace. Yeah. I did about 7% of those total minutes uh, between marathon pace to 15K pace. And then I did 3% rounded off at faster than 15K pace. Uh, so what that means, the faster than 15K pace stuff, a lot of that was um, intervals at uh, about 10K pace, or maybe it progressed from a little slower than 10K pace to a little faster. I typically did these for time rather than on the track. And I, I also include here strides, which I may have ended some of those workouts with, and hill work, which I did faster. So I did a, a series of combination workouts where say I did three or four or five minute intervals at approximately 10k effort and then maybe added hills and strides to it. So in that way kind of 10 man-ish sort of combo workout that we talked about in the previous episode on workouts we love, that series we did. That general concept of, of 10k pace work that so many folks use as the higher end speed for marathon work I thought was perfect for me. As an aside, how about the 10-man elite drama occurring? They have dumped the actual 10-man. He is no longer yeah. their coach. I can, I can only hope when you and the rest of our athletes decide that it's time to dump us that it can be this dramatic. Gee, man. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I was really pleased with that work. Did it kind of once in each of those microcycles? Then I, f I went back to a place that I found a lot of confidence before, and that is work at slightly faster than marathon pace in longer intervals, longer chunks. So for example, a five by two mile session that was originally intended to be maybe five to 10 seconds per mile faster than marathon goal pace and ended up more like 10. It was one of the best workouts I had felt really great. I have just noticed great confidence coming from those longer tempos. This work in, in a zone that is, again, between traditional threshold and marathon pace or between half marathon and marathon pace 
it's delicate because I think it can become a bit of a no man's land if you do all your work there. But it is the tempo style that was used by a lot of successful Japanese marathoners who tend to put in more volume. That is the Toshihiko Seiko Boston Marathon champ twice during the 80s, one of my icons, because he said he had no room for love. He, the, the marathon was his girlfriend. He needed no girlfriend. And I thought, God, <laughs> is this a man who I model my life after? <laughs> But they would do long bouts of an hour or even close to 70 minutes at slightly faster than marathon pace. You see this same method in like the Brooks Hansen's team here who will do one of their longest, hardest workouts is this two by 10K at five or so seconds per mile faster than marathon pace. Well, when you add up the amount of time that takes for them to do... It's similar to this quality that Seiko was putting in. So, you know, somewhere in maybe it's four, six, eight, ten seconds per mile faster than marathon pace. I, I did a lot of work there that I really liked. And then I got super comfortable in some steady long runs as well. It just seemed like in that last six-week block, and as I, I'm looking now at my log, almost all the workouts were really, really good. And that should be a general trend we hope for. You know, there was one or two that were tough, but I think we want to, in some ways, break the glass early on and deal with some really tough stuff and then move toward success and comfort as we get closer to our race day experience. Of course, we still challenge ourselves, but we should have built a good foundation. Now my hope is that I can take some of that faster than 15K work, move it up, accomplish it earlier on in the block, and one of my big goals for this summer is at least one workout a week is going to be a meaty, grinding hill workout. This is the summer of hills. I have been saying for uh, close to a decade now, I'm going all in on the summer of hills. Well, 2021, babe, it's the summer of hills, Cosmo. I'd say get on the train. I'd like to have you along for some of it. <laughs> yeah, at, man. At least one workout. If I do a second workout a week, it might be something else that combos with hills, but I am going to work uh, hill sprints. I'm going to work long hills and, and just lay that foundation, see where it gets me. And I, I really like hills. I know not everyone does, but there's something I enjoy as well. And given the summer weather, I think they're a little easier to manage than the real long, steady stuff. So that's my next step as we prep for hopefully getting back on the horse, getting better, getting faster for the future. Cosmo, anything you'd like to wrap up with about the Toledo Glass City Marathon? It was a pleasure doing it, you know, racing it with you, but also having family there. I know we talked a little bit about it beforehand. I think that was one of the most special things for me is to have my brother there you to have your dad, you know, us be able to do that, that race together. It was a lot of fun. And I look forward to doing that again. I do too, man. I am, I'm so grateful. It was such a privilege to be there with you and with family. Enjoyed it so much. And, and now I advise you and myself to an extent, the same way I would for anyone who comes off a race, whether it was great and they can't wait for the next one or disappointing and they can't wait for redemption, refocus on the important and not the immediate. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something we both need to do well now 
to be better in the future. Just because we've both said our bodies feel like we could run today, that doesn't mean we need to or we should. It, it might yeah. not be the best in the long term. And so let's, let's do the things that are important rather than immediate in an effort to, to break through next time. And most importantly, it was so much fun to share the experience with you and with everyone on that course in Toledo. We're thankful that they were able to carry out a, a successful and safe event. Yeah. And again, I do encourage anyone who's looking for that later spring marathon uh, that tends to have some, some cooler weather. And again, good on-course support. Just be aware that a lot of turns and some gentle rollers, maybe not pancake flat as, as advertised, that uh, Glass City Marathon in Toledo could be the option for you. In accordance with the taking some time off after a marathon, I am going full steam on that in all aspects of life. All I am doing over here is just reading a bunch of books and, and nothing else. Nice. Well, except for I did immediately get on my feet for a long day of work right after the, <laughs> the race. But I mean, in the, uh, the extracurriculars, the recreational aspect of my life, it's a lot of relaxation and a lot of reading. And we're going to take a, a week off from the program. So we're, we're not going to record for next week so that we can regroup and get our energy and enthusiasm back for this, just as we do for our running. Thanks so much to everybody for listening, and we're thankful we could share our experience of racing and training with you. I look forward to seeing you next time on mile 84 of Seconds Flat. If you have coaching, training, podcast questions, as always, please reach out secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. Everybody have a great week, and we will talk to you soon.